Welcome to the Dying to Ask podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. When you were a kid, did you ever threaten to run away? I did. I had this romanticized vision of what life on the road would be like, you know, with no bedtime, you could eat whatever you wanted. My follow through back at that time in my life was pretty much non-existent, so I never did run away. But I have joked in my adult life with my mom friends during some of those hard seasons with kids, they just want to run away, (laughs) book the one-way ticket, go travel the world and, you know, just kind of get away from your troubles. And today's guest kind of did just that. Her name is Jacqueline Goldis, and she's the author of a new thriller called The Chateau, hands down the sexiest book cover of the summer. Is that a thing? I guess it is. It's so pretty. You see this beautiful French chateau, kind of dark and brooding, and then in hot pink letters, the title of the book. It's so beautiful. Let me just read you a little bit from inside the book. So you have girls trip, bunch of girls who knew each other in college, 20 years later, going back to the chateau, which is owned by the grandmother of one of those girls. Let me just read you a little bit of this here. Amid winery tours, market visits, and fancy dinners, that's like my dream day, Overlooking olive groves and lavender fields, it becomes clear that each woman has a hidden reason for returning to the estate after all these years. Then, following a wild evening celebration, Seraphine is found brutally murdered. That's the grandmother who owns the chateau. In the midst of this shocking crime, a sinister Instagram account pops up, exposing snapshots from the friends' intimate moments at the chateau while threatening to reveal more. And as they race to uncover who murdered Seraphine, and who is now stalking them, the friends begin to suspect each other because the chateau houses many secrets, several worth killing for. I mean, how good is that? (laughs) Oh, I just want to sit on a beach and just settle into that. So the chateau is actually Jacqueline Goldis's second book, and writing is actually her second career. She graduated from the University of Michigan with a major in economics, then got a law degree from NYU, and she practiced estate law in Chicago for seven and a half years. Now, if you know any lawyers, that's kind of a critical time because that's when you start talking partnership, right? So it's a big investment in time. But this is where it gets interesting. She decided to quit her job. She packed her stuff in two backpacks, carry on, and then went on to travel the world. Eventually, she settled in Tel Aviv, and that's where she's been for the last seven years. Now, these days, she spends her day writing by the beach, incorporating some family history, her travels, and an incredible imagination into her writing. How great does that sound? On this Dying to Ask, we'll talk about how Jacqueline made the call to quit law and to go ahead and travel the world. We'll find out what was in those two backpacks because she was not a college kid when she headed out on this trip. (laughs) I've done that trip and I know what was in my backpacks. Absolutely nothing that I needed. So I'm curious to know what did she pack to head out for a year? How do you trust your gut when you decide to make such a radical career change, especially after that big of an education investment and seven years of professional time? Is writing on the beach in Tel Aviv as good as it sounds? Spoiler, it sure is. And also, Jacqueline shares some really practical advice about following your passion. It's good. Jacqueline Goldis is my guest on this week's Dying to Ask.
Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Jacqueline, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the Dying to Ask podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Deirdre. I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, well, you are here, but you are actually in the future because you're actually joining us from Tel Aviv today, which to me, is, I think you're the first guest we've had from Tel Aviv join us for sure. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful for the honor. And yes, I'm joining you from the future. <laughs> yes, you are. Just just a few hours, just a few hours. Um, you know, as I was reading through some of your background, I realized that you and I share a love of one particular writer, and that's Agatha Christie. Uh, <laughs> as yeah. I read as I read your new book, The Chateau, I had some vibes of Agatha Christie, who was my favorite author as a kid, especially. Well, that's the biggest compliment. So thank you. <laughs> I adore Did her. you? Did you have a favorite when you were growing up of hers? So I actually didn't realize, read her until my early 30s. Um, so like less than 10 years ago. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I really don't know how I missed her as a kid. No, I, I don't know. Somehow I did. Um, I think Crooked House might be one of my favorites. That's a good one. I, I love, yeah, but I love, you know, all the kind of popular ones also. So yeah, my favorite was, um, and then there were none. Uh so, so good. So good. Yeah. Which it always cracks me up because yeah. people will always say, oh, and then there were three and then there were two. I'm like, do you know where that comes from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know who thought of that? So your new, your new book is called The Chateau. It has this absolutely gorgeous cover and um, features this beautiful chateau, obviously, on the cover of it. How do you explain to people what it's about? What's a good way to describe it? So it's about a dream girl's trip to a luxurious French chateau that devolves into murder. And there are so many secrets and lies that come out between this group of best friends. Um, it has a it has some World War II history kind of woven into it, even though it's a very much a contemporary murder mystery. And uh, there's also a missing priceless artwork. So um, draws on Van Gogh, who lived in Provence and yeah. Where did, and, and you have some interesting family history that kind of, it sounds like inspired kind of your interest in that time period. I do. Yeah. My dad is a Soviet immigrant and uh, my grandmother escaped the Nazis on the last train out of her small Ukrainian town. Um, and some of her family wasn't so lucky to leave and um, they were murdered in mass graves there. And, you know, I heard all these stories growing up and I've always been interested in kind of how that Holocaust continues to reverberate today, because I felt it as kind of, um, you know, the granddaughter of someone who escaped and the great granddaughter of people who died and kind of about the inheritance of trauma. So I think that's an interesting thing to explore, but I, I love doing it in a contemporary book through a contemporary lens. Um, so yeah, that kind of factored a bit into I the think plot. I think it's so interesting, especially in the last couple of years, how many um, books set in that time, and maybe it's that, that phrase you just used, kind of the inheritance of trauma, how many books set in that time have started to come out? Because I feel like there is this new generation and you kind of pull them in, you suck them in 
with the fiction part and the exciting, you know, the storytelling part, but then there's so much history that's in there as well. I find when I read books like this, I start Googling and going down a separate rabbit hole while I'm Googling, like, did this really happen? And so many, so often the answer is yes, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I love that. And, um, and yeah, I feel kind of privileged to be able to talk about it, especially in a time where anti-Semitism is surging and it feels like important things to remind people of that, you know, this could happen again. So yeah, I like, yeah, I like that I was able to include it. Your, your background is really interesting because you didn't actually, well, you may have always loved writing. You didn't actually start off as a writer. No, I definitely did not. Um, I started off as a lawyer. I worked seven and a half years at a big law firm in Chicago, um, very much went down that road, but truly for my earliest memory, I've always wanted to be an author. And, you know, of course I was always told, you know, that's not a real job. You can have a real job and then you can always write on the side yeah. and that's, and that's super fair, you know, creative pursuits are difficult. Um, and I'm also very glad I didn't try to become an author, whatever that, you know, full-time author at. 22 when I graduated college because I don't feel like I had the life experience then to um, be able to write how I am now but um, but yeah I went down the law path you know everyone said you're such a good writer law lends itself to writing and I think that's very true I became such a better writer at my law firm I have like so much gratitude towards the amazing partners who just taught me to write so much more concisely um, and to strike so much that, you know, wasn't serving me. Right. <laughs> me. So I'm grateful for that. But yeah, I, as I progressed at the law firm and, and I really enjoyed it there and I enjoyed, I enjoyed law, but it, it never felt like my passion. And I really felt like I wanted to give writing novels a real shot. And I should say I wrote, I, I'd written four books by the time I left law. So it was always like something I was doing on the side and I was trying to pursue so it wasn't, it wasn't like I wasn't doing that, but I, I really wanted to give it a full-time go. Yeah. And you were doing what type of law? Estate planning. So yeah, trust and wealth. Yeah. So when you make the decision, like, I'm really going to, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to, you know, maybe change up my life and make a different decision after more than seven years. What was the reaction like from the people around you? It was really interesting. I think some some people, fair enough, thought I was really crazy because I was giving up such a good salary and such a secure job. And I left the year I could go up for partnerships. So yeah. I think to a lot of people, it felt crazy. But then I think to the people who really knew me and knew how much this always felt like my path, um, I think they understood why I was giving it a chance. And actually, the interesting thing is, you know, when... I was the youngest person in my group and I was working with people who are maybe, you know, 20 years older than me. And um, I, I thought they were going to all think I was crazy. And maybe some of them did, but I saw it in a few of their eyes of like, ooh, if I could go back, I wish I could have done that. That's what I felt I saw at least, or like, like you're making the right decision. I got that reaction from a couple of people and, and that was interesting. And, um, and yeah, so I, I kind of felt like I would never regret having taken the risk. Like you can always go back to something. You can always try to, you know, but I, I felt like, 20 years on the line, I would regret not having tried it. That's so interesting. How did you know that you can tell this is like utterly fascinating to me, but <laughs> how did you know to trust that? Because I think a lot of us, you know, like the partners that you said looked at you like, like you could see that thing in their eye, like they got it. 
How did you know at that point in your life that that thing, that thing inside of you was like something you should really follow through on? And, and I don't mean like from the affirmations of others, at some point you have to be good with yourself. What yeah. was it about it that you just knew? Because I think a lot of people think about things like that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I always knew this is what I was going to do. Always. I always had this strong belief, even no matter how anyone told me it was crazy to think I was going to be doing this full time or that I always, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I always felt that I was going to make more money doing this than I did at law. And I am not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but I really feel like I will be one day. And I don't know, that's, I, I can't explain it other than like this knowing that I always felt since I was a little kid that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And yeah, um, there's a quote I love that's like, you don't leap from A to B, you leap from A. And I don't know, I think that helped me as I went of like, you don't, you're going into this unknown, but I did have this feeling of like, I'm supposed to go into this unknown. It felt accurate. So yeah. I love it. So you didn't straight go into um, locking yourself in an attic like Agatha Christie and writing novels. <laughs> you actually started. <laughs> you actually started traveling and traveling yeah. the world. And what's fascinating um, on your bio is it, it's very specific. You packed two backpacks yeah. <laughs> to go do this. <laughs> so how did you? Because at this point you're not like a 22 year old, you know, jumping from no. hostel hostel. You're like a grown person with a law degree who has yeah. quite a bit of work experience. So I'm curious yeah. to know how you approached packing those two backpacks. Like, what did yeah. you bring for this trip, I and what was the plan question. at that point? I love that question because, truthfully, like I love fashion. I love shopping. I love I, and I had a lot of stuff in Chicago. I honestly think. Uh, you know, I had some like hard years in my late twenties. And I think that maybe I shopped to compensate for some of that, like to fill holes. And so I remember packing up my Chicago apartment and just being kind of staggered at the amount of stuff I had collected and just wanting to be minimalist and wanting to get rid of it and just like start fresh. And so I really did that. I mean, I packed, like you said, two carry on backpacks, by the way, I didn't even check a bag my entire year plus traveling. Um, so they went in the overhead bin and under my seat. And um, yeah, it was like very, I, I didn't bring that much, but honestly, it was so crazy. I, it was the happiest times. I didn't miss anything. I felt super happy with the stuff I had. Um, it was such like a lesson for me actually about what makes us happy. Um, super interesting. Yeah, it was very freeing. So where did you go? Did you plan out a solid year or did you wing it? <laughs> no, I winged it. I, um, yeah, I really winged it, which is, it's funny. I think I'm somewhere between a planner and a flower. I don't know. Um, but I really, I, I knew, I knew places I was really drawn to particularly. I knew I wanted to spend time in Bali. Um, I had heard such great things. I love yoga. I love like, um, the sun and the beach and the healthy vibes. And, um, and I knew I wanted to come to Israel. I'd been here as a kid. Um, I knew I wanted to come back and I thought at the time, get it out of my system, although I ended up moving here, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I didn't expect that at the time, but yeah, I was in, um, Thailand and South Africa and Bali and Sri Lanka and Israel and Jordan. And I've traveled a bunch in Europe. Um, I mostly went to places for a little bit. I mean, I tried to stay places for longer, like at least a month. Um, it was, it was amazing. And are you writing along the way? I mean, are you going like feet first into, well, I said <laughs> I want to write, like, are you really, are you doing that along the way then? Well, so when I first started traveling, I felt burnt out. I had just like, I'd worked really hard to make my hours, to get my bonus, 
then I was like, okay, I need to get this bonus before I leave without any income. Um, so I, I took off, like, I think I did half a year. I didn't even, I didn't write. I had an idea for a book um, that became my first book that was published, but um, I didn't write for six months. Yeah. And then I was writing while I was um, traveling. Actually, my first book is set in Greece. So I went to, I got to go to Greece, like um, travel research. That was super fun. So yeah. So in kind of the theater of the mind before you left, what panned out exactly like what you thought it would be like traveling for a year? And then the flip of that, what did not? <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, I guess what panned out is it opened my eyes. It opened my life. It I felt like it expanded me. It made me grow. Um, I met so many amazing people. Um, wow. I mean, what didn't is that I really thought I was going to go back to the U.S. I remember I said to my brother, because our, our sister lives abroad, and I said to him, don't worry, you're going to still have one sister living in the U.S. And, um, and so I really thought I was going to go back to the U.S. and move somewhere like to warm weather. Um, and yeah, that didn't happen. I came to Tel Aviv on my travels, and I thought I was getting it out of my system, and I stayed a month, and I kept traveling, and I kept coming back, and eventually um, I said, I think I live in Tel Aviv. Um, it was kind of an accidental move. And so I did not expect that. And so how long have you been there now? Over seven years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well then take us through, cause now the book thing is working out. Yeah. Take us through what, what your life is like now. Yeah. Um, wow. Life is good. Um, I, I would call it simpler than when I was in Chicago as a lawyer. Like I feel like the simple things are really what makes me happy. I walk on the beach without my phone twice a day. I live two blocks from the beach. So like morning and then also at sunset, I try to do it again for like 45 minutes each time. Um, that's like my, well, I also meditate, but that's like my meditating time. My It's when ideas come to me. I feel like it's kind of work time too, because I'm always like cataloging the ideas so that when I get home, I remember them and it can go straight to my laptop. Um, I, yeah, I have like wonderful friends and family here. I work from cafes. Um, I usually do most of my writing from cafes. Um, Tel Aviv is a great cafe culture. And um, usually I'm actually almost exclusively work outside. Um, so it's funny. It's very different from my life in Chicago where I was indoors in an office all the time. Now I'm constantly outside, um, and nature a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, I love what you just said about, um, on the walking, it really counts as work time because your brain is relaxed enough to yeah. create and think. And I, I think sometimes, and maybe that's the gift to travel too. Um, we get so caught up that we don't ever step back to step into something that we really want to pursue. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think I think without those, that quiet, it's hard to like really sift through what's to, or sift through to what's true. Um, I think I, I always try to give me, give myself that. I think in Chicago, I distracted myself a lot. Um, and I, I try not to, I try not to do that as much and give myself space to have things come and happen. So as you started to uh, let the Chateau happen, can you tell us a little bit about the experience of writing that book and um, how you how you kind of set it up before you started writing. I'm curious to know, like, where did that idea come from? Yeah, well, um, I, you know, I like like we spoke about with Agatha Christie. Um, I am like a late adopter of mysteries. I'm not mysteries. <laughs> I read so many Nancy Drews as a kid, oh, but yeah. um, 
adult mysteries. It wasn't a genre I was really um, always into. I don't know why, um, but I discovered them late. And so I'd written my first book. It was not mystery, uh, not thriller. And, um, and I'd written a couple books after that for a variety of reasons, not related to the books. We, my agent and I hadn't sold yet. And so there was kind of this lag during the pandemic where we were gonna, we were about to sell other stuff and I had a kind of space and I was like, you know, I'd really like to try writing a thriller. Um, and it felt very daunting because thrillers are complicated, mysteries are complicated, you know, very twisty and um, laying all the clues. And I didn't really know if I could pull it off. And I had this idea, um, I, I wanted to do a girl's trip and I wanted to incorporate the World War II aspects to it. Um, to something contemporary. And I kind of thought about these girls who uh, studied abroad together when they were younger and now are reuniting. And I, I knew that hadn't been done, even though there's been girls trips. And so it kind of took off from there. And I had been to San Remy in Provence um, like 10 years ago. And I always thought it'd be such an amazing place to set a book. And, you know, there's so many books set in Paris, but I feel like less in Provence. And so kind of the, the idea took off from there. And then I wrote this thriller and it's funny because my agent and I were going to sell a different book. And then my Asia read this one and she was like, let's sell this one. <laughs> and, um, I can kind of see why, you know, yeah. I love, you've got, you've got the four girls, but, but the, the house itself, the Chateau is also a character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I loved like when I used to read those Nancy Drews and those big houses and I feel like a, a good creepy house, um, you know, especially like the cover, which I am blessed with a gorgeous cover, but um, yeah, I always think that's a really fun fun kind of mystery book. So I agree. Um, and it seems like, you know, those have been, I mean, they really kind of suck you in. I'm thinking of, um, oh gosh, what is it called? The Paris apartment yes. from a couple oh, of years ago. Fabulous. Yes, Fabulous. Yeah. Yes. So when you're writing a thriller as a reader, when we're going through it, we're always looking to try to catch it. We're looking for that little clue that gets dropped. How yeah. do, how do thriller writers make sure you don't drop it too early. Like, how do you keep track of that? Because I would imagine that the editing process for that is a little different than maybe a traditional fiction book. Yeah, you know, I'm generally, I, I'm a plotter, definitely more than a pantser. Um, can you, can you explain what that means for people who maybe aren't familiar with yes, writers and how they do it? Of, of writers, of what, what's the better way, whether you really plan your book and you outline and you know the plot points and you know the beats before you dive in. Or some writers say that stifles their creativity and that the way they discover a story is by writing it. And I think usually, I'm not a pantser, so I can't really speak to it, but I think usually pantsers have to edit more because they might go down kind of rabbit holes or dead ends. Um, so I, I tend to, um, my next book also is set in an exotic setting. So I tend to write settings that are outside of the US and that are outside of my own culture. So. That requires a lot of research. So I do a lot of research kind of upfront and um and I and I plot. I, I feel like I know the story, I know the beats, um, I know I know the ending um from the beginning. This book was a little bit unique because I knew the ending, but I didn't know the last chapter. That one took <laughs> that took some time to figure to figure out. There was a lot of walking on the beach. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I tend to I tend to know the the big parts of the book before I start writing. I feel like for me it would be difficult to do that do otherwise. But I'm in awe of the writers who who. And so, what was the, how long was the process then from the time you kind of had that idea come to you to the book actually going out? 
so it was pretty quick, honestly. This book, this book was, I have to say, such a joy to write. And it it just like flew out of me. I think I I I plotted it for a couple months, I think, and researched it. And then once I wrote, I think it took three months to write. Wow. And um, we didn't, my agent and I didn't make that many changes and we went out pretty quickly and it sold pretty quickly. So honestly, that's it was, pretty amazing. Yeah, it was, I feel very lucky. That was like, it was a really pretty seamless, kind of amazing place. Seamless. There, there might be some senior partners in Chicago taking a little credit for all yeah. that editing ability. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so from, people, from people who you maybe worked with kind of back in the day when you were doing the lawyer thing, um, or people who just knew you back when, you know, your, your goal, your career trajectory was going a different direction. Now they see kind of where you are. I'm curious to know what the reaction has been like all these years later. You know, I think people are so supportive and, um, yeah, I feel so lucky. I, I really have the best people in my life and yeah, they're amazing. I, I think honestly, when I look back at my time at my, at the law firm, you know, I, there were the people in my group, I could see for most of them, this was their passion. And I was so envious of that because to be doing something you're passionate about is there's, there was so much joy I could see coming from them. And I, I didn't understand it because I, I liked it, but I did not have that passion. And I actually think it's hard to be, I don't think I ever would have been as good as them, not because I'm being self-deprecating or, but, and, and I know I'm smart, but I, I feel like you have to have that passion to be as, to be that good. And, um, so honestly, sometimes I felt like I was a little bit of an actress there and in my, in my job saying the things I was supposed to say. And yeah, I think now if they see me, it's like, I'm so me, I'm so just myself. And, um, maybe that's a little bit different than the way I was back then, but no, I think everyone's like very supportive and, um, yeah, really happy. That's such that's such an honest way to put it. I love that. It, you hear a lot of people talking about pursuing their passions, and sometimes that means to the detriment of you know like paying bills. <laughs> that's, that's also not necessarily productive for a lot of people. Do you have any advice for people who who look and go, well, that what she did sounds amazing, or I really don't like where I am, or I have these other dreams? Like, do you have any advice for people who are looking at kind of doing a one eighty like you did, regardless of what they do? Yeah, I mean. I would say, I don't think you have to blow up your life to listen to that little voice inside of you. You know, I don't think everyone's little voice is going to say, leave your job the year you're going out for a partner at a huge law firm, you know, um, probably not. But, um, but I do feel like the little voice is like, um, worthy of being followed and that it's like asking you of something that's going to enrich your life if you start to follow it. And so maybe that means, like me, I was taking creative writing classes on the side as I was a lawyer and I was writing books on the side as I was a lawyer. So maybe it means, you know, if it's something creative calling you, doing it on the side of your paying job. Um, I don't know, maybe it means taking a sabbatical for a month and going to travel. I do think that there's, I think that we're a little bit risk averse sometimes of like, oh, but I can't go back to this. I can't do this. And look, maybe that's true. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to supersede anyone's own internal wisdom. I think everyone needs to follow what's right for them. But I do think a lot of times there's more leeway than we think, you know, there's more flexibility in our jobs or our paths or, um, yeah, to take a little risk sometimes. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. Like try something small and yeah. just feel it out, fill it out a little bit. You don't have to go all in right away, yeah. but yeah. maybe you just like road test it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. what are you reading right now? Oh, um, wow. I, I need to tell you the name of it. I'm reading such a great, <laughs> can I grab my Kindle? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh I'm reading a great mystery. It's, um, more on the cozy side, but I'm loving it. It's new. Um, 
A Most Agreeable Murder by Julia Seals. Um, it's it's like a um, woman in the Victorian time. She's investigating murders, even though she's supposed to be this like agreeable, perfect girl. Um, it's really good. Oh, I'm also reading um, The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Ooh. Cohn Boygman. It's it's very good. Um, very cool. Oh, and I just read Ruth Ware's Zero Days and I really liked it. Is that good? Yeah, I really liked it. That one, that one's on my list as well. It was a departure for her. I think it was like a little bit different than her normal books, but yeah. I think it's cool when authors take risks and- I agree. I agree. So we're, so what is next for you then? You um, mentioned you already have another one that's set in kind of an exotic location. Yeah, I have another book coming out next year, um, May of next year. It's um, actually set on the Orient Express, like the new trains that are um, being refurbished and, but that are like the vintage trains. So, um, and it's a, my train is going down the Western coast of Italy and um, yeah, there's a, obviously a murder. <laughs> so, <laughs> murder, murder on the Orient Express done my way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then how about for the Chateau? What happens with the Chateau from here on out? Will we... Uh, expect to see kind of a televised or streaming type version of that, do you think, at some point? I mean, I don't know, but that would be amazing. Okay. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that <laughs> if that happened. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. What's a good way for people to keep up with some of the stuff that you're working on? Thank you so much. Uh, Instagram is probably the best way, at Jacqueline Goldis. And you can also check out my website, JacquelineGoldis.com. Jacqueline, thank you so much. So nice of you to do this. Jacqueline's first book came out in 2021. It's called When We Were Young, another one maybe to throw onto your list of books you want to check out this summer. And then just a quick suggestion. I think The Chateau would be a fantastic book club pick. And here's why. Think of the theme you could do. You do French food. So you do French wine, French cheese, French bread, French dessert. I mean, it just would be really, really fun. And it's just a delicious read. It's just such a great summer book, especially. Quick thanks for some of the people who've been leaving some uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. I had two I wanted to read real quickly. They were both referring to our episode 200, the one I did with Edie Lambert about little luxuries that can make a big difference in how you feel each day. So from Admin Assistant 1, love the list you and Edie came up with and shared. I'm making my little luxury list now. That has been one of the most fun things since that episode is getting very random emails from people or posts on social media showing me strange things sometimes that bring them great joy. Like one of them was this um, strange little yogurt dish that this woman loves, and but it's her thing. Like we all got our thing. Find your thing. Find your luxury and enjoy it. Um, one more review from Sunny in Sacramento as I sip my coffee and get ready to tackle my to-do list. I know I'll be thinking about what my favorite little luxe items are. I know for sure one of them is coffee without my toddler climbing up my leg or asking for the 900th stack of the day. Oh, that doesn't get better. I have teenagers and they're still asking for 900 snacks a day. <laughs> but thank you to everybody who took a few minutes and either left a rating or review, wrote a little something, or just hit a bunch of stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. That is, people have asked me, like, is it really that big of a deal that you keep asking for it? It really is. It is truly what makes a podcast get bumped up in an algorithm and get it suggested to people. So when you're listening to something, say on Apple Podcasts, and it says other shows you might like, that's what gets a show into that position in somebody's phone. It's 
wild, but truly leaving ratings and reviews and hitting a number of stars is what um, really helps podcasts grow. It's the water in your garden and a little sunshine sprinkled in. So thank you to everybody who takes a moment to do that. It's super meaningful to me. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram name is runreadsips, so send me a DM. I do read them. Um, If you are more comfortable sending an email or if you would like to pitch somebody for the show, you're welcome to. And you can always email me at dfitzpatrick at hearst, H-E-A-R-S-T dot com. Thank you for listening today. Thanks to Jacqueline Goldis. She was finished our interview, by the way, and went right to her walk on the beach in Tel Aviv. That's the first for this show. (laughs) Don't think I've had anybody be able to do something quite so glamorous after recording an interview, but gosh, what a life. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Dying Desk Podcast.